Behold our God, right? Seated on the throne. Come let us behold, be, adore him. What a great song and reminder that that is uh, a great privilege that we have and a great joy as well. Well, we're going to dismiss our children now for children's worship up through fourth grade. If you'd like to uh, go there, you are welcome to be dismissed now. And while they do that, I want to ask the rest of you to turn in the book, to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Colossians, if you went too far, go back to your left. All right, Philippians. And as they make their way out, and as you find Philippians, let me say, just to ask uh, um, for your prayers this week, um, for me and for my family, this week I will be uh, north of San Antonio and Comfort, Texas all week at his hill. Uh, the McCalls are back there in the um, nursery, but Nathan and Davina McCall, Nathan's father, um, I don't know his, his official title, but he's one of the head honchos over there. It's what we say in Kentucky, one of the head hogs of the trough. And, uh, but great serving the Lord, but they have a ministry over there, a Bible school, and I'll be teaching 40 uh, 19-year-olds the book of John all week. And then I'll have, I think, seven or eight second-year students there that stay, and, uh, um, and we'll be doing the pastoral epistles all week. So I'm going to be having a great time. You all know that. And uh, with a bunch of young people who love the Lord and want to learn and grow. And this is kind of, the difficulty is they brought me in the last of the year. And they're probably getting like senioritis like high schoolers do. I'm sure they're ready to go home, but I'm sure it'll be a great week. And I'm looking forward to that. So pray for me as I travel, as I, I, I teach um, mostly all, a lot um, during those times. It'd be like going to Russia, but I don't have to have an interpreter. It'll be a little easier at this time. I, when I go to Russia, I teach just all day long for five days, and we'll be doing that, a little, a little more breaks in there. Um, but also pray for my family as I'm gone, and uh, um, that the Lord will sustain them and take care of them while I'm gone as well. So I would appreciate that. Well, here we are in Philippians, not John, not the pastoral epistles, but Philippians, as we are continuing our study of this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi, and uh, just being reminded that um, Paul had a great love for these people. We saw that already in the first 11 verses of this um, uh, wonderful letter, and the letter he wrote to a, uh, a church that he visited three times and planted the church in Acts 16, saw some wonderful things happen there as we began it, uh, but the title of the series is Finding Joy in Christ, and you see that all over this book, and the title of today's message is Rejoice, Christ is Proclaimed. Rejoice, Christ is Proclaimed. Let me read the verses we're going to cover this morning, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to uh, help us understand this morning and be changed. Beginning in uh, chapter 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren, trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this, I rejoice. Now, I left off something, didn't I? Is it something after that? Yes, and I will rejoice. Um, that actually goes with the next section. For I know 
See how that goes together? This is one of those times, remember, the, 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 the numbers are not inspired. They were put in there to help us find our place. And if you look and you see how four, that goes with the second I will rejoice. And there's another thing he rejoices about. All right, today he's rejoicing about one thing, and next week he'll rejoice actually about a couple more things. So I wanted to say, I purposely did that. So it's really 12 through 18a, and don't, oh, he's cutting a verse off. No, I'm not cutting a verse off. I'm just making sure we're seeing things in context and covering the section of Scripture in the passage uh, like we need to. So there we have it. He rejoices. And let's go to the Lord in prayer and, and ask him to help us understand and be changed this morning. Well, we do pray as we consider this portion of your word. Uh, to us, first of all, to this church in Philippi, uh, through Paul, and now to us here in the Brazosport area on this day in April. Lord, I pray that you would use your word to divide even soul and spirit and reach even the deepest recesses of our hearts, Lord, and see where we need to be encouraged, Lord, to see where we need to be exhorted, to see, Lord, where we need to be reproved, to see where we need to be taught. And we trust you to do that this morning through your word, to the praise of your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what gives you cause for rejoicing? What gives you cause for rejoicing? And probably think about a lot of things coming through your mind. How about the birth of a baby? That's a lot of cause for rejoicing. We've had a lot of cause for rejoicing in our family. I mean, six of them. All right. How about a child's first smile? That's, that's pretty amazing. And there's a lot of rejoicing. Man, my kid just, re- just smiled today. You call everybody, and now you, you Facebook, I guess, and everybody gets to know it a lot quicker. Um, but and how about their first step? Cause for rejoicing. I think we'd all agree. That's, that's, that's rejoicing. We, we rejoice over their first steps. How about a wedding? We've had a lot of those around here recently, too. Um, it's cause for rejoicing. Just this beautiful celebration of God bringing two people together, a man and a woman, to become one. Uh, how about a job promotion? You ever rejoice over those? Yeah? Now, some of you at Dow don't rejoice over them because all they do is they give you more responsibility and pay the same. Right? That's a job promotion I've learned at Dow. They just give you here. You, you have 17 more titles, and just, we'll just keep working for what we've been paying you the last 10 years. I'm kidding. How about a job well done? You know, you've got a project and you complete it. That's why I like yard work. Now, my boys are like yard work. We're doing all the yard work now. What do I mean? But I like to do, I get to, I like to build things and, and work in the yard because I, when you're done, you, it's like you've accomplished something. And, and, and you rejoice over that. Uh, maybe you rejoice because you're getting out of the heat in the summer, but there's some rejoicing going on probably. How about a graduation? We have one of those, a few of those going on here pretty soon as well. We, we, we rejoice in that. Um, uh, how about uh, a win by your favorite team? Y'all rejoice in that? Pastor Gell and I had a lot to rejoice about this year because our Kentucky Wildcats made it all the way to the finals. They lost in the end, um, but we a lot to rejoice about. And whatever your favorite team is, um, whatever your maybe your hobbies are, and you and you get to meet somebody, you get some new tool, or you get some uh, uh, new book or something you like to read, and you rejoice. You've been waiting to get that. Um, how about lower taxes? Would anybody rejoice over that? Yeah, all right. Yeah, rejoice over lower taxes. And we could go on and on about the things in which we rejoice over. And those things are not wrong to rejoice over those things. Those are all good gifts from the Lord. There's nothing wrong at all with rejoicing about those and other things. But there are other things that give us greater cause to rejoice. 
In our passage of scripture here in Philippians this morning, Paul tells us of one of those greater things in which we can rejoice. And when I think about this idea, bear with me here, this escalating of rejoicing. It's okay to rejoice in here, but there's something we can escalate to another level of rejoicing for other things. And when I think about this, this, this old hymn came to mind, Because He Lives. And there, there's, a, there's, a, there's a verse in there uh, that just came to my head, probably from many times seeing this as a, as a child, but I still sing it now. How sweet to hold a newborn baby. Is that something to rejoice about? Isn't that sweet? And feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. You see the escalating of the sweetness or the rejoicing there? It's, we could, it's sweet to hold a newborn baby, but sweeter still. Sweeter still to calm assurance. This child, you and I, can face the difficulties of life with a calm assurance because he lives. And we just celebrated that last week, didn't we? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you see this escalation of rejoicing. There's are good things, but there's greater things. And that's what God wants us to be challenged with this morning. Although there are many good things to rejoice in, there are even better things. And what is, when you think about what is the better thing in which Paul rejoices about in his words. Look at verse 18a with me. We go to the end of the passage because this is kind of the key verse of the passage. This is what he's building to. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed... And in this I rejoice. Paul rejoices in what? That Christ is proclaimed. That's what has got him all excited. That Christ is proclaimed. He's rejoicing in that. Getting the gospel out. He's excited about the gospel being spread all over the world. Why would Paul rejoice over the gospel being spread all over the world? Well, Romans 1.16 gives us a hint. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is the power of God... For salvation to everyone who believes, both for the Jew and for the Greek. He rejoices that the gospel is getting out, that Christ is being proclaimed because it reconciles sinful man to a holy God. It brings forgiveness. It brings new life. It accomplishes the purposes of God. The gospel saves people from the wrath of God so they can know the love of God. That is something to rejoice about, wouldn't you agree? And that's why he rejoices. And my hope is that we too do and will rejoice with Paul that Christ is proclaimed. So let's look here at the rest of the verses, 12 through, we'll get back down to 18a again. And we're going to discover three exhortations to rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. Three exhortations. Look with me first at verses 12 through 13. Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Here in these words we find the first exhortation by which to rejoice. Rejoice. Christ is proclaimed in difficult circumstances. We say that again. Rejoice. Christ is proclaimed in difficult circumstances. Paul writes again to his dear friends and followers of Christ here in, in Philippi, in, in the, the followers of Christ in Philippi, the church of Philippi. In verse 12, he says this, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What were Paul's circumstances? 
Now, you, if you've been here, you may, have already, you may already know. If you ever studied the book of Philippians, you probably already know. But thankfully, he gives us this in context. And look at verse 13. He says that he was imprisoned in the cause of Christ. Paul was in Rome for two years imprisoned because of his passion to pursue the proclamation of Christ to the ends of the earth. That's his circumstances. He's actually in prison. And it's in these circumstances in prison that Paul says have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. He begins in verse 12 that now I want you to know, brethren, and these are terms of endearment. He calls them brethren. I want you to know this. And most likely the church of Philippi was concerned about Paul being in prison they were concerned, of course, about his well-being. They send a gift later on. We'll see that by Epaphroditus later on in Philippians. But they're also concerned about, how about the spread of the gospel? Paul was the greatest evangelist, the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher the world had known at that time. And now he's in prison. What's going to happen with the gospel? It's going to retard the advancement of the gospel. It's going to hinder the advancement of the gospel. They're concerned about that. So Paul says, I want you to know. I want you to know, dear brethren. Something very important. Don't worry. Don't be concerned about that. Why? Instead, his imprisonment actually made for the greater progress of the gospel. Not less, but more. That sounds crazy. He's in prison. I mean, they didn't have the internet. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have TV. They didn't have any of that kind of stuff. How's he going to do? He's in a Roman prison. How's he going to do that? Well, notice the word progress here. Some translations say advance the gospel. And this word has the idea of moving ahead against all obstacles, all difficulties, all resistance. It's actually a military term. Paul used a lot of military terms. It's just, it's just moving ahead. Yet with the obstacles, the advancement or the progress is assured. That's what this means. It's not advanced. Oh, there's some, there's some things in the way we're going to stop or advance a little bit. It's an, uh, it's a, a sh- you're sure that the advancement's going to happen. The progress will take place. This is not a doubting word. Well, it may take place. It's going to take place. Uh, anybody ever heard of the Caterpillar 797B dump truck? You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Jason? It's got tires as big as this building. Made in Peoria, Illinois. Oh, yeah, they're huge. I mean, you, you, see, you see these pictures. Go look it up. It's the 797B model, okay? I looked that up. I thought I know that, all right? I've seen one because I, we used to live in Illinois. We saw the tires, and these things are just huge. They're bigger than, I don't know how tall they are, but they're huge. And so let's imagine you have a Caterpillar 797B dump truck versus a smart car. And I don't know why I call them smart cars. If you have one, don't be offended. Okay? <laughs> um, just, just imagine, the obstacle of a smart car is no match for the progress and the advancement of a 797B Caterpillar dump truck, is it? It is no match. And, and this is the word they use. It's not even close. His circumstances, his difficulties are no match for the progress of the gospel, for the advancement of the proclamation of Christ. That's the picture that he wants them to see here. Hey, don't worry, don't be concerned. The gospel is progressing even in my circumstances. Well, just so we would be reminded, difficult circumstances will always be around. There will always be obstacles 
just in life, the enemy will throw them out there. But be assured, the gospel will advance. And, and Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy's last letter that he wrote, and he wrote it to Timothy who was pastoring um, church Ephesus. What he says in 2 Timothy 2, 8, 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to imprisonment as a criminal. But the word of God is not imprisoned. Paul assures Timothy that his imprisonment would not imprison or stop the advancement of the gospel. Don't worry, you can't imprison the gospel, Timothy. How can Paul have this kind of attitude and outlook in his circumstances of being imprisoned in Rome? I mean, how can he do that? Think about this. I mean, we whine about, we're in free country, got all the food that we could want, maybe not all the time, but we think about where we live. And we whine about all kinds of things. And this guy's in prison. He can't come and go as he wants to. And he's looking at it. He's got this unbelievable attitude and outlook. How in the world can he do that? Well, he tells the church in Philippi down in verse 16. Look at verse 16. It's actually in the King James and New King James. It's in verse 17. But we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get you there with the phrase. So notice the phrase there. Uh, I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Some translations say, saying, knowing that I'm put here, for the defense of the gospel. Notice that word appointed or the words put here. It's the same word. It's also a military term meaning under orders. Paul is under orders to be where he is. He's in prison. He was put here. He was appointed for this time and this place to be where he is. Paul understood that his circumstances were not determined by an accident or by, ch- by chance, but were divinely appointed or commanded by God. He understood this clearly. And later on, we're going to see a lot of other people understood this as well. Therefore, he knew that God would use this circumstance for the progress of the gospel, for the advancement of the gospel. That's how he could have this kind of attitude. He knew God was in all of it. Now, if you're new here and you're thinking, well, you know, maybe you've been taught or you heard or you thought that all bad stuff is from the devil and all good stuff is from God. It's just not true. And I would say ultimately that all good is from God, right? But some people say, well, he's in prison because the enemy, he's just trying to knock things down and God's in trouble. Well, we, we, if you read the Old Testament, it says God tested Abraham. God brought difficulty in his life, not for the purpose of bad, although the enemy would try to use it for bad, but God was in control. It, the greatest example was Job. Think about Job. We know, the, we know behind the scenes of Job, right? That God allowed Satan to come on Job. If he would have said, you know, sorry, you don't get Job. He would have never touched Job. He couldn't. And in the same way, that this looks like a difficult circumstance, but the reason that Paul could have such peace and have an attitude like he did was because he knew God was in and among and around the whole thing. And he had put him there, appointed him for this purpose. We, another passage of scripture that many of us know is in Romans 8.28. It reminds us of this. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Paul knew this. Why did he know this? Because he wrote it to the church of Rome. That's how he knew this. He knew this truth. It was, it was such a part of his ministry and his, and his outlook on things. Therefore, Paul could exhort others to rejoice. Christ is proclaimed in difficult circumstances. That's why he could do that. Let me ask you a question this morning. Will you rejoice that Christ is proclaimed in difficult circumstances? 
Will we rejoice that Christ is proclaimed in difficult circumstances in your life? It's easy. Yeah, man, I'm rejoicing with Paul. I'm so glad he's in prison and not me. But what's your circumstance? What's your difficulty? Where's your struggle right now? I, I don't know. You know. But I want you to know that you can rejoice even in the difficulty because Christ can be proclaimed in the difficult circumstance. And that is good news. And he will use it for the progress of his gospel. So know that no matter what your difficulty is, God will use it for the advancement of the gospel. Let's now look at verses 13 and 14. Um, We'll pick back up in 13 because some things we still need to see there. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And here we find the second exhortation that Paul has for us. Rejoice Christ is proclaimed to different people. Rejoice Christ is proclaimed to different people. Notice the first group uh, uh, um, that is spoken of here to which Christ is proclaimed. It says they were well known. Okay, he, he picked back up here in verse 13. Christ has become well known through the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. These are non-believers. This is the, the first group uh, of different people that Christ is proclaimed to. They don't follow Christ. Now, who were, who, who, who were the Praetorian Guard? Or your translation may say the Palace Guard or the Imperial Guard. Uh, originally, they were composed of 10,000 select soldiers in Rome, and it was begun by Caesar Augustus. 10,000 of the best. These are the army rangers, the navy seals, uh, but, um, the, whatever the marine special forces are. All the special forces, I don't want to leave that out, okay? But these are the best of the best. And, and they were chosen, but 10,000 of them originally. And Paul says that the progress of the gospel was happening in these men. In, in this Praetorian Guard, this palace guard, this, the, the select special forces of the Roman army. How? Well, here's how. I love this. Just picture this. Paul is in, in, in prison. It's a little different. He's not like in a dungeon kind of prison. He's not in solitary confinement. He has a guard chained to him. So on one end of the, the uh, chain is Paul, and on the other end is this guard. I don't know exactly how long the chain was. It wasn't too long. But it was always a guard chained to Paul. They call it under house arrest. He was in a place, but he, had, he was in prison because he couldn't go freely. He couldn't do what he wanted to, and he was the chain of this guy. Now think about this. Did Paul have a captive audience? That guy's chained him. It's like the guy I told you about last week that was in the airplane next to me, and he was up against the window, and I was here. He was a captive audience, right? And even more so. And what would happen is they would do shifts. So another guard would come in. And another guard. He was there for two years. We don't know how many guards of the Praetorian Guard spent time with Paul, but we know the results. And that's what this is about. Acts 28, 30 through 31, um, also tells us something else. Not only did they hear him probably speak the gospel to them and talk to them about the gospel, but they also heard him speak to other people and we, about the gospel. Because in Acts 28, 30 through 31, it tells us that people could come and go and visit Paul. And it says this, was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. So people would come and visit him. 
And he's teaching about Christ. And the guards change. Hey, come over here a little bit. He's coming with him, right? And he's talk, telling this person about Christ and talking about the gospel. When he come over here, the guy's got to come with him. He could hear everything Paul said. So not only he tell him about it, but he heard secondhand. Just on and on about the gospel. And no doubt that many of these Praetorian guard, by God's grace, became followers of Jesus Christ. How can I know that? Well, flip over in Philippians 4.22. I'm glad you asked. If you didn't, I'm answering anyway. Here we go. Look, look at 4.22. All the saints greet you. Remember, saints are not coming to special Christian. It means holy ones. Anybody who's in Christ is a holy one. They are a saint. Especially those of Caesar's household. Who's part of Caesar's household? The Praetorian Guard. The household wasn't just immediate family members. These people who served Caesar. And he's saying that they're greeting you. These brothers and sisters, these brothers in Christ. So we know that some of them must have come to know Christ. And because of their influence, Christ, listen to this, was being proclaimed, look at the end of verse 13, to everyone else. You can just imagine that these guards, when they got off duty, and as they spent some time with Paul, and they got together with other guards, they began to talk, hey, have you been spending time with that guy, that Paul from Tarsus? I mean, at first it was probably like, man, I wish he would just shut up. Right? I mean, he just keeps on and on and on about this. And, but, you know, he's so gracious. He, he's so kind. And he, he's, so when he speaks to people, and he's such, such a love for people, he got, this guy, I think he even loves me. And, and they start talking, it begins to spread and spread. And because these 10,000 were spread all over the city of Rome, who knew, knows how much it touched them and then who they told? Here's the everyone else. Unbelievable what happened through Paul's witness in these guards and how the gospel was indeed progress, progressing. Well, not only was Christ proclaimed to the non-believers, but notice who else Christ was proclaimed to in verse 14, and that most of the brethren trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more encouraged to speak the word of God without fear. Brethren is obviously, or brothers, is obviously speaking about believers, followers of Christ. And notice the impact of the progress of the gospel and the continued proclamation of Christ by Paul while in prison was having on these believers, having far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. The fact that God was advancing the gospel through Paul in his circumstances gave these believers courage and trust that God could advance the gospel in their difficult circumstances as well. Isn't that good news? They, 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 they could see this, that God was using this circumstance over here. And they saw that, and they were encouraged that even Paul in prison, God's using that for his glory, and he could use me too. Without fear. The advancement of the gospel. Well, therefore, Paul, knowing this, could exhort others to rejoice. Christ is proclaimed to different people. And oh, what an impact the proclamation of the gospel had on different people. Some came to know Christ. Some were encouraged to proclaim Christ. It served to the progress of the gospel. So in which group of people do you belong? Are you in the non-believer group? like the Praetorian Guard and everyone else? Or are you in the believer group? Which one are you in? If you're in the non-believer group, then I plead with you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God through His Son. Turn from trusting your sin 
and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, that your sin might be forgiven and you may be right with God and be forgiven and be given a new life to glorify God, the very reason you're created. If you're in the believing group, what circumstances are holding you back? What difficulties are keeping you from being a part of the progression and the advancement of the gospel? Whatever they are, they're not too great for God to use. So allow God, working in the life of Paul and working in the lives of people around you, encourage you to speak the word of God without fear, to proclaim Christ in your sphere of influence, knowing that God will use it for the advancement of the gospel. When I look at verses 15 through 17, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, rather from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Now, it's in these verses uh, that we find the third exhortation. Here it is, rejoice, Christ is proclaimed through different people. He was proclaimed to different people, but this is rejoice, Christ is proclaimed through different people. Look with me there in verse 15. Notice the word, some. Now, it's in different, some, some translations at the beginning of the verse, some of it's about three or four words in. And then later on, you, you, you see uh, that uh, this word some is in, used again in the New American Standard. Um, in the same verse, it says some to be sure. And then later on, it says some also. Your translation may say some and others. Right? The key here is there's two different groups. Who, who are the some he's talking about? Some. It's a continuation of the thought beforehand. The brethren. He's talking about believers. He's talking about people who know Christ. Some and others. And we're going to see that we're going to walk down through here. There's two different groups of believers that uh, believers through which Christ is proclaimed. Paul says these two groups are being used to proclaim the gospel. The first group is described in the beginning of verses 15, verse 15, and, and then in verse 17, the second group is described in 15 and 16. And, and this is actually a, a literary device known as a, a, a chiastic structure or a chiasm. So it goes something like this. A, B, B, A. Whatever it starts with, it ends with. It could go A, B, C, C, B, A. It could go be A, B, C, D, D, C, B, A. And I can't go anymore, I'll mess up. But that's this, it's, it's, it's to bring attention to something. And Paul uses this device to bring attention to these two groups. To, to separate them in, in, in a unique way, literally, so that we can see what he's trying to get across. Let's look at these groups, beginning with the first group found in the beginning of uh, there in verse 15. It says this, Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Notice the motivation of this group with the words, Envy and strife. Your translation may be something, something like jealousy and rivalry. Right? And it's just a great synonyms. This group, this first group was preaching the gospel, proclaiming Christ out of envy of Paul's ministry. Obviously, the Lord had used great, Paul greatly. He was known all throughout of the ministry of the gospel. He'd been trained dramatically from Saul of Tarsus to the apostle Paul. And people knew about him all over the place. He, he was famous. He was a celebrity in some, not by his own making, but, but people heard about him. And now that he's in prison, many thought they could take advantage of this. Oh, Paul's in prison. Now it's time for my ministry to take off. Right? And I, I put on my banners and everybody knows it's me. And, and, I, and I can draw a crowd and start preaching Christ. But it's cold. Paul, he's in prison now. He can't keep up with me. 
And now I'm going to take off and I'm going to become famous. They're doing it out of rivalry, of jealousy of Paul's notoriety. And now look in verse 17. Paul expounds on this first group by stating the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Their goal is at proclaiming Christ not for the advancement of the gospel or the saving of the lost, but for selfishness. For selfish reasons. That's why they proclaim the gospel. They hope to gain some popularity and diminish Paul's. These kind of people still exist today. Did you know that? They preach the gospel out of wrong motives. Out of rivalry. Out of selfishness. They proclaim the gospel for reasons like popularity. Or to gain power. Or prestige. Many reasons that they preach the gospel but not the right ones. That's the first group. Let's look at the second group of believers that, through which Christ is proclaimed and Paul describes. Look at the second half of verse 15. It says, but some also from goodwill. Notice this group's motivation. It, it's goodwill. And the word goodwill here means a desire for what is best for others. A desire to have what is best come for others. Goodwill. They proclaim Christ for the right reason. That new life and forgiveness of sins might come. That's the right reasons. It's goodwill. It's wanting the best for everyone else. They've been saved. And they want everyone else to know that you can be saved. You can be made right with God despite your sin. Notice now in verse 16, the latter, this is, this is the second group, do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. They proclaim Christ out of their love for Paul, not jealousy for Paul. They love him. They love how God used him. They're motivated not by jealousy, but by love. They also know that God has Paul right where he wants them to be. And he has them right where he wants them to be. Paul's where he's, he's been put there. He's been appointed there. And we've been appointed to be out here. So we can share the gospel and be excited about it and that everybody is involved in this. Not just Paul, but us. Now these two groups' motivations could not be any more opposite, could they? Yet they're also similar. How are these two groups similar? Their motivations are completely opposite, but how are they similar? They're similar in that they're both proclaiming the gospel. They're presenting the truth about the gospel. Paul doesn't say one's preaching a false gospel. He says they're both preaching the gospel. Christ is being proclaimed. And evidently, God was using both to bring people to himself. To get the gospel message out. Both right motives and wrong motives. God was using them. Now notice what Paul, how he responds to this. Again in verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense, it's falsehood, or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Wow, he rejoices no matter what their motivation was in the gospel. He was rejoicing that Christ is proclaimed. He wasn't as concerned about the, 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 the motivations. He wasn't going to let someone's motivation detract from how God was using the proclamation of his word to bring people to salvation. That was what was important. Whoo, man, that's, that's tough to take, isn't it? Let's be honest. How many of us can rejoice like that? How many of us can rejoice with Paul and not allow someone's negative motivation to detract from how God is using the gospel to bring people to repentance? That's tough. I have to admit, that's tough for me to do. 
often we allow this to happen to such a degree that we miss the joy of seeing God's grace work in the lives of people in a miraculous way in the preaching of the gospel. Because we're so concerned about, listen, their apparent motivation. Because sometimes we don't, we think that we know their motivation, don't we? You ever clown in somebody's heart and know exactly their motivation if they haven't told you? Mm -mm. Now sometimes their fruit may tell it. But sometimes we just don't know. And so we get all up to work about this apparent motivation why they're pre- preaching the gospel, why they're sharing the gospel, why they're reaching people for Christ. They get all worked up on that. And people are coming to Christ. God's still using it. He can use anyone, right? Even people with bad motivation. He used Pharaoh who hated him to accomplish his purposes. And the fact is, we don't always have the right motivation either. We don't. Right here, I'll raise my hand. When I was a... a, a Going to my second senior year of college, um, spring break, I went with a group from the University of Kentucky to um, Daytona Beach, Operation Sunshine. It was with uh, Camp Crusade for Christ, which is now called Crew. And we had conferences like that during the night and the morning, and all day we're out on the, on, on the beach sharing the gospel. You know, and we'd go in partners and stuff like that. And, and, and so I come up, and we got the four spiritual law booklet or some other kind of track. And we're, hey, can we talk to you about something? Yeah, we're sharing the gospel. And half of them are drunk anyway. And you have no idea. And, and, and a couple people responded to my message of the gospel. I don't know if their heart was changed. I hope it was. But it began, there's quite a few. And a guy went, man, man, you're good at this. Yeah, I'm pretty good at this. And I go to the next person. They respond, and I promise to read that. Can you follow up? Oh, man, that's another good one, huh? And I began to be motivated by this guy next to me going, yeah, you're good at this. What a wrong motivation. We can still do it. Knowing the right gospel, we can do it with the wrong motivation, right? But don't get caught up in someone else doing that. We, we can guard our own heart, right? We need to examine our own heart and make sure we're doing the right motivation. But God can even use the wrong motivation to bring, bring people to himself. So let me ask you a question. What do you think about people going door to door? Hey, can, can I share the gospel with you? What do you think about those people? kind of weird, huh? Maybe that's what you're thinking. I don't know. How about people who pass out tracts? I mean, they're just like the track monster. Here, give me a track, man. Read about Jesus. How about those kind of people? Kind of annoying, huh? Maybe that's what you think. I don't know. How about street preachers? I'm not talking about people just yelling nothing, but they're actually out there preaching in a crowded area. They're proclaiming the gospel. Does that bother you? How about people on television? They got a television ministry. Now, some of them aren't. No, hold on. Some people aren't preaching the right gospel. But just because someone's on television doesn't make them a swindler or false prophet. How how about those who use just a different method that you're not comfortable with in sharing the gospel? Kind of makes you squirm, doesn't it? And and who knows what their motivation is? They they bother, bother us to such an extent that we can't rejoice that God's using those things to bring people to Christ. Ken Ramey, my good friend, who's a pastor at Lakeside Bible Church, his dad was bought, brought to Christ by somebody handing him a track. And God has used that in that family, and everybody in their family is saved. And, and now his son is proclaiming the gospel. And now, you know what his dad does? He's like the track monster. Yeah, he, God used it in his life, right? You've got to watch out for those guys. Hey, we need to watch out for those guys. Maybe we need to become some of those people and be a track monster. I'm not saying everybody's got to pass out tracts. Please don't say that, all right? But you see, Paul would, re- would say, rejoice. Christ is being exp- proclaimed through different people, even those with wrong motives. Remember that we're not speaking about a false gospel. Please know that. We're speaking about the true gospel. What is that? 
What's the true gospel? Here it is. God's standard. God is holy. And God created us to glorify Him. That's a problem, isn't it? And this is man's problem. Man is sinful. And the Bible says, we have not glorified God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it tells us that the wages of our sin, the payment of our sin for not glorifying God, for not trusting in God, for not following after God, and going our own way, is death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. That's, that's the, the, the judgment. That's what we deserve. That's a, that's a problem, isn't it? God's standard is this. We're not, even, we're not even in the room. And because God is just, He must punish our sin. But... God's provision of His Son. He sent Jesus, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And when we quit trusting in ourselves and our own good works and quit following after the, the, the self-righteousness in our hearts, when we turn and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone, He makes us right with God. That's our response. We turn and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And God can use that message no matter the motivation. And in this, we can rejoice. Now, I'm not saying do it for a wrong motivation. But, you know, the truth is, though, no matter what people's motivation, no matter how our response is, the truth is most of us aren't even regularly sharing the gospel. Uh-oh. Instead of worrying about people's motives, we need to be busy proclaiming Christ proclaiming the gospel and at the same time watching our own motives. When is the last time you shared the gospel with someone? This week? This month? This year? Here's another one. Have you ever shared the gospel with someone? Now I know a lot of you aren't going to like this, this, this quote I'm going to give right now. And I'm sorry. But it's true. John MacArthur recently in a, a message said this. Whoever said, preach the gospel often and when necessary, use words? That's stupid. Yeah, that's awful harsh. But it's true. You can't preach the gospel without using words. It's a message. Now, he's not saying don't live a holy life. But you can't just, who, okay, I'm living a holy life over here. I'm, I'm cutting my neighbor's yard. I'm going to the grocery store with them. And I'm helping them out. Saying, God bless you and all these kind of things. They're going to come to Christ because of that, right? No, you've got to tell them the problem. Well, this, is, this is another good person. There's another good person over there that's like a Muslim or a Jew. They're good too, right? You've got to use words. They won't know. He gave us a word. Right? The word so we could explain the gospel. That's why we have Psalm 19. The first half of it says the, 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 the heavens are declaring the glory of God. Right? The first half of Psalm 19. And then the second half, and that's God's general revelation. But none of that can save someone. Man, look at that tree. Oh, Jesus must have died on the tree. They don't think that. But look at that sun. Man, what a beautiful sun. That must be like the S-O-N. They don't think that. Because the second half of Psalm 19 is about the word of God. It says it brings salvation. It brings a new heart. It brings purity. You understand what I'm saying? So please don't get upset about John MacArthur. I agree with it. And often we use that as an excuse not to share the gospel with our words. And we're just going to live a good life and they'll come to Christ. Well, you know that God may use that. He's going to use somebody else to speak the word to them. 
Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. They've got to hear it. We've got to say something. Well, when was it? When was the last time he shared the gospel with someone? What a passage. What a passage. Rejoice. Christ is proclaimed in difficult circumstances. Rejoice. Christ is proclaimed to different people. And rejoice that Christ is proclaimed through different people. And there's a lot of different people in here. And I want to encourage all of us by the grace of God to allow Christ to be proclaimed through you. God's place has all appointed us. He's put us there. Just like he did Paul in a special place so the gospel might be proclaimed through you. Now, I'm, I'm not... Again, saying, I just, you think, man, he's like really pushing tracks today. All right. But I've got a table out there. I've got all different kinds of tracks. I've got them in Spanish. I've got them in English. All different types. They all share the gospel. I want to encourage all of you to take one of these and give it to someone this week. Hey, could you read this? And maybe next week we can get together and talk about it. it just, but most people say, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do that. Oh, gosh, a weirdo. It, who cares to say weirdo? Right? This is, this is life and death. Some of you are thinking, hey, you're a little carried away with this responsibility of man. You know, God ultimately saves. Yeah, he does, but he uses people. He always uses people to get the gospel out. And he uses us, right? And if you don't want to take a track, just commit. This week, I'm, I'm going to share the gospel with someone. I'm going to start up a conversation and ask them where they are with the Lord. Either commit to pass out a track, commit to share the gospel, then pray that the Lord, listen, that the Lord, we're back to Philippians, when he's planning the church, that the Lord would open his heart like he did Lydia's in Acts 16 in the start of the church of Philippi. Hey, Lord, I'm, I'm going to get the message out, but Lord, I'm going to trust you that you would open their heart that they could hear and receive the gospel and be changed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege to know you. Thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to proclaim Christ. And Lord, let us rejoice in every way that the, the, God, the true gospel is proclaimed. Whether we agree with the, the, the method or not, our preference is not that, or we're not even sure what's going on, Lord, just help us rejoice that Christ is proclaimed. And Lord, help us not just stand back and rejoice that everybody else is doing it. Lord, help us be a part of the re- reason to rejoice that we are proclaiming Christ so that people might be made right with you, forgiven, set free, given a new life. Lord, thank you for your word. Now change us through the power of the Holy Spirit by the means of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.